Welcome to Reverb. My name is Sophie Wadzak. My guest today, Alicia B. Wormsley, is an interdisciplinary artist and cultural producer. Her practice bridges public art, social engagement, science fiction, and political activism to reveal forgotten histories and imagine alternative futures. A central theme throughout her many projects is collective memory, and she focuses specifically on the stories of women of color to bring attention to the timelessness of the African-American experience. Alicia, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to talk to you today because we're in the middle of a series on space and place with okay. the show. I love um, space and place. I know you do. So <laughs> I'm, I, you know, we talk about how these concepts are understood and talked about in various ways, how they factor into people's work and our mm-hmm. understanding of that work. And I think you're a great person to talk to about these things. So our listeners might remember that we did discuss one of your projects already on a previous episode, the now famous There Are Black People in the Future billboard, and really talked about it in terms of space and place and like the symbolic and theoretical function that place plays in a city, Mm -hmm. right? Today I'm really excited to talk to you about some of your other ongoing projects and work, which also deal with space and place and who inhabits space and how. Can you kind of tell me what's the role of space or place in your work? Like how do you see that as factoring into the work that you do? Okay, well first I should say that Space is the Place by Sun Ra is one of my favorite films. So so I like the title of this series. (laughs) Um, And even though, mind you, there are, you know, it was made in the 70s and there are some um, slightly misogynistic angles filmmaking, you know, that is very prevalent in that time period. I mean, even now, too. But it is just thinking about Sun Ra. I can't even think of his uh, birth name or his human name. But he had this vision that he came from Saturn to liberate people with his music and made a film about bringing people, bringing African Americans to space. So that's what the film is about, and there's like kind of this play on good and evil, and there is no good and evil, and what it would actually be like really breaking down colonialism as far as like what would it be when we got to space? How would that change or liberate us, really? And I'm always thinking about that. I'm always thinking about how can I really talk about kind of liberation or freedom when I was born and raised in colonized America. So that also has a lot to do with space, place, right? Time. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm just like, the best I can do is just be aware of it, right? And think about that in the work that I'm making. So I have a body of work called The, the Space I'm In, and it's focused on black women in America and kind of how they navigate through space. It's thinking about erasure and like what is really erasure. When I was working on a previous project that's kind of goes through all of my work, includes their Black Women of the Future, everything. It's called Children of Nan, and it's kind of it's this archive around the existence of Black people in America, specifically women. And I've been like kind of collecting things and ideas and memories and consciousness and adding it to this archive wherever I find it, in films, in reading, and objects, in um, histories, herstories, etc. I kind of like built, have built this archive and then I kind of make work from that archive. So Children of Nan is kind of like the underlining thing that all of my projects come from. So in Children of Nan, I'm really thinking about like what is power? 
what defines power. And I'm really thinking about like kind of, I, you know, not necessarily breaking things down into binaries, but in Children of Nan, there is this kind of idea of like, what is white supremacist power, which is patriarchal, and what is the like ancient black matriarchal power, and how how are they like at odds with each other, and how are we suffering from this like great imbalance? And so in that, I'm thinking about where we have been conditioned to see uh, the place of black women in America as erasure, just as we see black neighborhoods, we call them blighted or vacant, abandoned, which is inaccurate, you know, and and it's inaccurate based on our definitions of power. So I really think about is it erasure or is it moving through space and time in a different way, in a way that our consciousness can't get a hold of, can't really understand because of the way that we've been conditioned through colonialism and white supremacy, et cetera, et cetera. So the space I'm in is like looking at all of these different spaces in black neighborhoods. And it kind of came through this project I did called The People Are the Light, um, where I supported women. I did like 30 days of programming, workshops, um, et cetera, in support of the healing of black women in Homewood. And I'm really looking at this space where this is a neighborhood that's called Blighted, right? In newspapers, it's like um, they now use those terms. I grew. I spent some time there. Okay. I lived all over Pittsburgh. We okay. moved a lot. Sure. So I lived in Homewood from, I want to say, like third grade until seventh grade. Okay. Many of our listeners are Pittsburgh-based, but for uh-huh. those of them who aren't, can you can right. you describe? Because I, I, I think that the people are overlight for me is a great example of, of how space and place is coming into the work in like a real, an important way. It's like a focus of it. Right. Can you describe the neighborhood a little bit and yeah. sort of what what it's all about sure so um homewood is a neighborhood that's predominantly african-american and has been for maybe 80 years mm-hmm. i think that's right around 80 years and it is kind of this really magical place but it, it shares the story with african-american neighborhoods around the country that have been in survival mode for you know a century Um, almost a century and you know just from like different programs government programs like the war on the two war on drugs you know just in situations of um, economic disparity uh, racial injustice where businesses were not supported people were not given home loans uh, homes were taken away uh, etc etc But it also has this like really amazing rich legacy of incredible thinkers, philosophers, you know, leaders in education and culture, arts, music, etc. The arts high school was Kappa was founded by a Homewood resident in Homewood. And then, you know, seeing how this high school became more and more creditable if that's the right word, then, you know, the, like, white parents who went there worked really hard to move it downtown. Yeah. Right? Away from. Um, Away from where it's originated. And, um, you know, different things. And you can see it in, like, the bones, right? Like, you can see, and you can see, like, the kind of power and joy there that is resilient, right? There's just this resilience there. And it's really because of the hard work of the residents that live there. So I grew up there in the late 80s, early 90s, and 
Um, there's so many houses that are just like falling apart that where people lived in that I knew that, you know, and like different things, different spaces that have just changed, right? And then just like talking to my mom about it, where when she was in college, she went to Carnegie, this school, Carnegie Mellon, in the uh, late 60s, early 70s, she talked about how like all those houses were beautiful and well taken care of and filled with people. And so I just started thinking about like, well, you know, there's still even in the work that I've been doing in Homewood with kids and kids will be like, oh, this is a perfect place to make a zombie film. And I'm like, this is where you live. This is like your home. You know, so it's like thinking about those spaces and like, what do those spaces mean? And who's holding these spaces up, even in the conditions that they're in? And what is this legacy of like strength and power is moving and changing, right? And it's not holding on to the same ideas of power, which is like, economic prosperity that's power and control violence is power in this kind of white supremacist structure that we exist in whereas in these spaces care and like nurturing and love are the means of power and so i really like people are like really focused on that and like how that is sustaining and you know the space i'm in also focused on that in a different way where and people are late and space i'm in kind of overlap because the women who held these workshops who are holding homewood up in such a you know in such a strong way were also kind of the subjects for the space i'm in where i was like photographing them in different places in homewood that are kind of like falling apart or old have aged but you can kind of really see the strength of those spaces because of these women. Will you tell me a little bit about the title of The People Are The Light? Because I think it's such a beautiful title. And can you also sort of describe what the body of work contains? Because your art crosses a lot of different mediums. Sure. With The People Are The Light, the um, Hillman Photography Initiative, which is a Carnegie Museum of Art project, they came to me and asked me to create kind of like a project, some sort of project or work that connected a neighborhood in Pittsburgh to the museum in some way or another. And they gave me a great budget. And so, you know, I thought about like, well, how can I take this money and give it to Homewood? Nice. Right? Instead of like doing something that, you know, and then I'll do something that's in the museum. So (laughs) I'll figure that out after I do all this, you know, because I was doing kind of this space, this space I'm in project, I really was like, okay, I want to support. And a lot of the places like, you know, the first, the first black opera was in Homewood in America and Madame Carwell Dawson, she, you know, that house still stands it's like a historic monument but it's covered you know it's falling apart it's covered with trees you barely would know it unless you are driving slow past it and you see that plaque outside of you know like so I was like really thinking about these women and so I was like okay well how can I support this like current generation of women who you know 50 years from now will be doing the same projects about there'll be someone will be writing about them or doing this How can I like represent them while they're living? How can I honor them while they're living yeah. and um, support them? So, um, and I'm thinking about, they also wanted to, the Hillman uh, Photography Initiative wanted me to do something around social justice and light. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Because it's a photography project. Sure. So I was like, okay. And then I was thinking about, you know, I could just make something or some sort of monument or whatever. You know, I was thinking about all these different things. I was like, no, that's ridiculous. Like, I want to support these women. And, you know, there are all these vacant spaces in Homewood, of course, but it's not the spaces that need to be, they don't need to be like refurbished or renovated so you could turn the lights on. Like the people here are the light. That's what's important. And so I kept saying that to um, Divya Rao Hefley, who's at the time the kind of um, brains behind the Hillman Photography Initiative. She now works at the Office of Public Art and is uh, an amazing person, supports me in all my projects. Um, she was like, we should just call it the people are the light. You keep saying that, Alicia. Yeah. Like, let's call it that. And I was like, that's a good idea, you know? Yeah. So that's how it got that name. And then I guess the project comes down to, it is 30 days. There were two main installations and they were, I commissioned two black men, Ricardo E. Murray Robinson and Robert Hodge. And I commissioned two men um, because I wanted them to make spaces where all of the workshops and things could happen. And I wanted the women to feel safe in those spaces. So that's that the reason why there were any men in this project at all. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and, um, and then I worked with 10, more than 10, because it was like, all, you know, they're like, sure, come do this. Do this, this, this. Sure. But there were 10 women on the flyer that um, held these workshops, did projects, um, in that 30 day time. Yeah. And so that happened. So I curated this cultural produced this 30 day series. And then I filmed the whole thing and I made this really artsy experimental documentary that was like a three channel film video that was shown at the museum. So that was what was at the museum. And that was really strategic too, because how often are black women in their glory being beautiful in museum spaces. Yeah. So that that was also part of that. And then I made a book um, with Silver Eye Photography. So I had all the women kind of imagine themselves in the past and future of Homewood. And then we went to different places that were important to them because all the women had connections to Homewood. Mm-hmm. And we went to those different places and photographed, we played dress up and yeah. photographed them and film them, and then that that was part of the video and also the book. So I'm interested in, because obviously all art has an audience of some kind, right? But it seems like, especially for you, the people and the way they engage with the work is very much a part of the work, right? Just as uh-huh. much as, as the product, right? It seems like what you're describing, like you lifting up and interacting with these women is as much the art itself as, as the final film. And Absolutely. Stuff like that. It, and it does sound like a lot of these choices you're making are strategic in terms of how you're using the resources that you have to, mm-hmm. to you know, lift other people up. But how would you describe the role of public engagement? Is that your main focus? Um, public engagement is interesting, right? Because I'm very strategic about how... I mean, all of my projects are curated, mm-hmm. right? Like, I, I think about who should be in the project in a number of ways. You know, I feel like more I'm collaborating with them, okay. right? Like this this work is a collaboration. And I'm really like, I feel like I'm pretty straightforward about that. You know, of course, like I'm creating these films and books and whatever, but, but I know that the work wouldn't exist without them. Mm-hmm. 
and, and our collaboration. And I talk to them about how they want to be in it and what role, you know, how, how they want to be presented and um, feel um, extensively. So they're not the public, right? They're collaborators. Right. Now for the public, it's important that the public are involved. I want the public to benefit, right? Like I want to give support. I, I want to support not only the women that I'm like collaborating with, but I also want, you know, all of the women that I collaborated with. Let's let me use this example sure. because I'm like I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, so all of the women that are in the project interact with the public in some way okay. or another. Their their practice is based on like. Felicia Savage is a yoga instructor, okay. right? She has a anti-racist yoga school. Mm-hmm. So she is, you know, working with the public. Uh, and Quinny Quinfield is an opera singer. The pu- you know, she performs for the public. Yeah. Uh, Yona Harvey is a writer, you know. You know, all these things include, you know, our exchanges with the public, which is why I pick them, mm-hmm. right? Okay. So that they could exist, so they could be a part of the project as themselves, but also interact with the public. Okay. Other projects, just like there are black people in the future, you know, I, I created that work so that I could, you know, public engagement is a huge part of that work, mm-hmm. right? Even before the billboard, you know, a big part of that body of work was the objects I collected mm-hmm. and printed there are black people in the future and encased them in resin. And so when those objects were shown in different institutions or galleries or wh- whatever, mm-hmm. I would always try to do some sort of programming where I'm working, you know, in the school, like let's collect these objects wherever we were. Like I did it in Houston, California, New York, mm-hmm. Minnesota. Like I'm doing these workshops with them, connecting my work with them, okay. which I think is important for them to think about their existence as a legacy, as something that's important that that should be archived. So, I mean, I didn't go to art school until you know, in the last five years, mm-hmm. I went to school for anthropology, okay. cultural anthropology. That's like the basis of all my work. All my work is like about archiving and uh, collecting data to present to the public so that they, for their benefit, Okay. which isn't really what anthropology is always, but that's what it's supposed to be. Sure. Right? There's like a fair more fair amount of exploitation in anthropology, but in the practice of anthropology, but that's because it's you know, structured within like white supremacist yeah, academia. It's like inherently yeah. colonial and yeah. Close. Um, but it should be about preserving information for the benefit of humanity. Sure. Right? That's why so interacting with the public is important because that's a part of my practice and a part of my mm-hmm. like the goal of my work. Yeah. Do you I think that's a really interesting point about because I was going to ask you like you know what, why are you drawn to archiving but it makes a lot of sense with your background um, mm-hmm. who in your mind is your art for like who's your audience when you're creating or mm-hmm. conceiving of these projects do you have an audience in mind is it who are you thinking of in terms of who your work is meant for in the present mm-hmm. it is meant for it's really meant for, I want to say first for black women. Okay. And then everybody else. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> and, and black women includes like black girls, you know, because I, I want them to, I, I specifically want them to see like their power in the work that I make. Okay. 
and tap into that power. And then, you know, I feel like also in a sense that I do want to shift this grand imbalance Mm -hmm. that's in our world right now. And so that's for the benefit of everybody. Right. You know, because we if we don't shift this imbalance, then we're we're not going to exist. Yeah. Um, you know, it affects this imbalance affects our climate, our environment, our you know everything is based on this like grand imbalance. Mm-hmm. Right now, I'm like really um, focused on like this black witch movement, which is essentially what I'm talking about power, right? Yes. So like with like the history of of witches, right? That term is like for fear-based and demonized, right? Which there's no demon, there's no Satan. Yeah. There's no, you know, in in like witchcraft. Yeah. That's like mythology, that's a cult, right? Yeah. Um, and, and it's strategic mythology to like take the power away from women. Mm-hmm. You know, if you really like go into witchcraft, it's about, you know, respecting the land, knowing the land around you, mm-hmm. and having like, uh, living a life of reciprocity right as a human being as a human being on this planet it's about acknowledging your ancestors and not just your ancestors but your your future right the people yeah. who come in the future it's about care mm-hmm. it's about uh cooking and healing and delivering babies and caring for children and you know like all of these things and basically caring for humanity yeah. which have been traditionally sort of seen as apart from witchcraft, right. a feminine endeavor, would you say? Right, in a, in a controlled way, Yes. right? It's like so controlled mm-hmm. in such a way that like, and so strategic, especially in Western culture, where, you know, like if you have a, if you have a certain wealth, then women aren't even supposed to care for their children. Someone else cares for their children, mm-hmm. which to me is like the first the strongest aspect of white supremacy is like the separation of women from their children. Mm-hmm. These rich children have no connection with their mother, right? The connection is weakened, right? Right, And then people, you know, and then these women who are at service, right, are not present for their children. It's like this, that to me is like the number one strategy of supremacy. Okay. And patriarchal supremacy. You know, and that makes it so, like, these these rich children have don't have that intimacy. It's easy for them to make decisions that are violent and hurt people mm-hmm. and are um, self-beneficial. Mm-hmm. So I just like thinking about that. But anyway, I digress. Um, <laughs> well, I want to talk to you about the, the research that you're doing in, in witchcraft in that yeah. realm very much. Um, but all of those aspects of power that have are kind of belittled and controlled... Mm-hmm. Um, when I was pregnant, I, I watched, uh, is a show, oh my God, now I can't remember what the show's title, but it's about like 19, early 1900s hospitals. Okay. Oh, uh, called Midwife? Is that what it is? No, or, no, no. It's the male, it, it has oh, like Clive Owen yeah. and um, I can't remember what it's called. the something. And it talks about, it specifically shows how um, midwifery became outlawed. Ill- yeah. illegal mm-hmm. and how they you know for science only men could deliver babies and they were butchering women yeah. and babies mm-hmm. like which like still kind of which still like, happens the right. like cesarean section versus natural birth like exactly where like right. these women had already figured out all everything that needed to happen mm-hmm. for a healthy baby to be born 
these men are like, no, we'll do better, yeah. right? And they're like giving women heroin and, you know, so just even like that kind of thinking. Yeah. They're like smoking cigarettes, delivering, but, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. and I just watched it and I was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Like, I was just like, it was almost like a comedy. It was so ironic. It was like, I had to laugh to not cry. Like, yeah. it was just like so ridiculous. But, um, but that's like really prevalent, prevalent among all of the things that are called witchcraft, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. all the things that are witchy, which is really just like, I mean, there are, so this is what I was talking about, like power, that imbalance. There are like black women farmers who are also spiritual practitioners of like African traditional religions that you would call witchy mm-hmm. um, that are healing the lands around them. Right. They're healing soil. They're healing. They're using like ancestral practices right. to heal spaces. Soul Fire Farm, all these spaces, these like black women who are like reclaiming these abilities, which were how the farming industry started anyway, was from the farming practices of people who were brought here from the Atlantic slave trade. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's how we have every all of our farming yeah. practices. So like those things like these like. Um, reclamations, these like kind of, and they're, you know, and they're all being kind of deemed under this pop culture term, which like mm-hmm. on Instagram, there's like trap witch, hood witch, yeah. you know, these women are, they're healing from sexual trauma mm-hmm. through this witchcraft. They're like really handling their business. Yeah. So, and, and it's creating an, an economy for themselves. And so this power that's kind of like getting bigger and bigger is something that I want to like really show and support and encourage mm-hmm. so that this audience of the future, right. that's like really the audience I really think about is this kind of audience of the future. Mm-hmm. Cause I think that's like what's most important. Like I, I could give a fuck about the art world, really. Yeah. I mean, I, I wanna take care of my family like just like anybody else, but they, they're not my audience, nor academia, nor you know any of these, like I wanna support human beings that's like so crucial it's crucial Mm -hmm. to do that for our future existence in as much as you're sort of operating within you know you're doing research here at the university right Mm -hmm. you work with museums in the area but you're not like you just said they're not your audience they're not who you're working for right um and you've taken steps to sort of subvert resources and funding away from those places towards the people that you want to work with and find interesting right do you consider your art inherently political or because I know a lot of the sort of the response and the critique and the way that people talk about and think about your art is Uh, very much discussed in a political way is it your intention that your art is political no my art's spiritual okay like my intention is is spirit based but you know like I said somebody said like to be black in America is to be political so and that's because that's based on that's based on like the structure that we live in, kind of this like colonialist, like how can it how can it be received, mm-hmm. right? And even you know people are constantly coming up to me like, oh my gosh, thank you for your work. It's so you know important, and and I appreciate that. Don't get me wrong, and I, I want people to like feel something. Yeah, but I don't care about politics. I think that's the thing. Like I really don't. I I I think it is theater. And I'm not a big theater goer. Okay. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, so watching all that stuff, I just like kind of space out. You know, because none of that is actually the truth. The truth is, is like everything is 
is uh, all of those politics run by corporations, like are led by corporate interest. So what's the point? You know, if we're breaking things down, I won't, you know, that has to come from people. Mm-hmm. Nothing's going to change unless masses of people change things, right? Like nonviolently, right, from a place of love. And I think that that's really to like start start decolonizing our existences and our minds we have to be witches okay. <laughs> you know what i mean and like we have to start like handling you know a lot of these black women you know like there's another um lakeisha harris in new orleans who fights for reproductive rights mm-hmm. um who's also a witch, who is picketing in spaces, changing laws. Like, that stuff is important. I understand that. Like, we have to do that. But there, in a sense, I think there's just something different about the way that that's happening. It just feels more spiritual than political. And I'm not quite sure what that means. I mean, I have to think about it, but that would be my answer. Will you talk a little bit more about what what is included or how you would define witchcraft or being a witch like you were saying earlier right mm-hmm. like you can go on instagram like there's an economy surrounding this right um it's certainly something that feels in some ways in some ways that you see it kind of trendy or maybe right, right. a little surface right huh? do you you know as a, a black woman who's aware of and acknowledges like the the root of a lot of these practices right do, do you resent that do you find it problematic like huh. what do you know what i mean like yeah. if you're are am i a no, witch no, because no, i no. say i'm a witch right, or, right, right. what does it mean to you no i i mean i'm an artist so i mean there's room for everybody's art right and some art differs sure. in depth mm-hmm. and just like that, you know, like we live in this world, there are all different kinds of thinkers and people who are, you know, and I feel like if, if anyone wants to call themselves a witch on Instagram and like, you know, you we know what we're looking for, right? Our spirits mm-hmm. guide and, and there's room for everything, everybody, everybody, if it empowers you, do it, you know, I hope it doesn't empower you at the detriment of someone else. Sure. There are people who float through this world at a more surface level mm-hmm. and they gravitate towards other people, like-minded people, right? Yeah, I just hope that you're not, that these people aren't saying that they can do things they can't do or hurting other people mm-hmm. in that in that space. That sort of speaks to something that I think a lot of people who know about your work appreciate about you or find sort of refreshing is that like it, it doesn't seem that ownership is something that's very important to you as an artist no. would you say that that's true because i know that like with the there are black people in the future billboard right you huh. have encouraged other people to take those words and use them in other places okay. but at the same time artists reputation is important for your work and your brand and, and right. everything is ownership of your work and your material important or not, and, and uh, why? That's a good question. Um, I don't know. I kind of, like, go back and forth with that. I I mean, I feel like as human beings, we don't own anything, mm-hmm. right? Um, I've really been thinking a lot about the phrase, stay black and die. All I have to do is stay black and die. Is it, Who does that come from? Uh, it's like, it's been said, it's, it's like a euphemism of, okay. of, amongst African Americans, <laughs> okay. like, you know, somebody says, like, you got to do this. And you're like, all I got to do is stay black and die, you okay. know? 
And I, and I think that that is like, we're talking about decolonization, right? And like, what is it to own land? How do you own land? Mm-hmm. How do you own, you know, like me and my sister in Florida and there were like private beaches. And I was like, what the fuck is a private beach? Like, you know, just even thinking like, how do you own the beach? Mm-hmm. Like, that's so fucked up. Like, I wouldn't even want to do that. And it's the same thing. Like, how, how can I own a sentence? Right? There are black people in the future. I want people to say that. I want black people to be in the future. Yeah. So I can't own that. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know how I would feel if like some other artist was like, I made this billboard that says there are black people right. in the future. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I don't know how I would feel in that instance. But, you know, when you look at art, the art canon, all of the art that we think of masters, art masters, they like took all their ideas from like indigenous art. And then they belittled indigenous art, called it primitive, mm-hmm. and said that they weren't inspired by it. You know what I mean? Yeah, they, yeah. they like wouldn't acknowledge that. And so that, so it's like I can't, in that sense, I can't not say that I'm, all the ideas that I have are original. Sure. Right? I mean, I teach it in an art school. Yeah. Like, none of these ideas are, are original in sense, mm-hmm. but they are curated by an individual mm-hmm. who has a has a unique experience in this world. Yeah. So I don't know if that answered your question, but... No, it, it does. It kind of brings me to the last thing I want to ask you about. So I know that you recently were given a grant to move forward with your Sybil Shrine residency program, uh-huh. right? And, you know, we've been talking this whole time about how you use what's at your disposal, right, to try to uplift other people. Will you talk a little bit about the the Sybil Shrine program yeah. and what it's all about? Um, sure. Sybil Shrine is a residency, an arts residency for black women, women X, mm-hmm. um, who are mothers or identify as mothers. And it is a project that I made up okay. <laughs> that is just got funding. So it, nothing is super set in stone. Sure. It is like a working document in Google Docs. <laughs> okay. um, but hopefully, in my vision, is that we have a living space and a workspace and an exhibition space. The exhibition space is not important because there are exhibition spaces everywhere. Basically, when I became a mother, I was already at a certain place in my career. I was an older mother. I had my son when I was 37. And... Um, you know, things were just started shutting down. Mm-hmm. Like people would say, oh, I, you know, I'm like, oh, well, I just had my baby. Oh, I guess you're not coming then. Or, oh, we'll have to do this. Or, you know, because, um, of being a because I'm a mother, yeah. like residencies. Even when I was like, I, I'll just bring him, mm-hmm. you know, and they're it's like. It's surprising how that oh, is not, yeah. I, I think and not only in the arts world, obviously, but like if you are pursuing a career and you have a child, those things because of sort of these power structures that you've been talking about this whole time. Yeah. Like, they're not compatible yeah, no. in a real way. And I guess you experienced that. Yeah, it was so ridiculous. Yeah. It was just like, even like I had residencies. So my career before I had my son was kind of like residency based. So I would probably do like two to three residencies a year where you go stay somewhere or, I mean, residencies are all different. You know, sometimes I would just have a residency in Pittsburgh at an organization and I could use their resources and uh, make work and be supported and present my work through that organization. But then there are also residencies where you go stay somewhere. Mm-hmm. 
just like a place to kind of separate yourself from your reality and be able to make work. And um, so many places are like, well, we don't accommodate families or children. And I'm like, but it's an apartment that you are going to give me. So why not? And my kid, crazy enough, my kid lives in an apartment with me in Pittsburgh. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you know, or it's a house or... And they would be like, well, we don't, you know, maybe it was an insurance thing or, and I just like couldn't, I was like, oh, that's so crazy. And the year I got pregnant, you know, I had three residencies and two were in the United States and they were just like, well, I guess you're not coming. And then one assumed that you weren't. And one was in Paris and they were like, oh, cool. Are you going to bring your kid? It was totally fine. Which shows you how it is subject to, (coughs) it's like subject to space and place. Mm -hmm. Like where you are determines what the what the rules are right and i'm sure it's not like some sort of matriarchal uh heaven in europe but they were still way more accommodating understanding and then i really started to think about like who are the successful women artists not even black women artists but who are successful women artists and how many of them are mothers Mm -hmm. and the number is real low yeah and there there have been like a bunch of texts not a bunch but like some texts written about being a woman, a mother, and an artist um, that were written by white women. And I forget the one um, was written by this woman, and she asked for all these, you know, maybe like 10 other artist mothers sure. to, to write about their experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and most, they, I think they were all white women. And like, um, so then I'm just like, you know, did a little research on just women, right? Mothers, artists. And then um, I looked into like people of co- women of color, mm-hmm. and the numbers went way down. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, I like had um, I knew like one artist woman was um, a mother who's who's very successful, and I was talking to a curator about her, and he was like, "She has a kid." You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, you really, like, are expected for your children to become invisible. Mm -hmm. Like, you kind of have to take a break until your kids are old enough to be invisible. Mm -hmm. Right? Yes. And so that's, like, some bullshit. Some real basic bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. So then, you know, and I started just, like, taking Shepard everywhere. Meetings, installations. And sometimes I wouldn't tell people I'd just show up with my baby, you know. And then I went to graduate school uh, for film and video at Bard. And you can bring your kid, but um, that doesn't mean they're like necessarily accommodating sure. to the life of a mother. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I would certain things like I remember there was like screenings. Um, they would have these nine PM screenings. Yes. These things where everything happens after seven PM yeah. on. Like, and that's like, when your day is over as yeah. a mother if you're and if I, you're like housebound. Yeah, yeah, and I would like tell I remember telling like the co chair of the program like you know, this really is hard for me. And he was like, yeah, it's hard for everybody. And then I had to, like, really, like, school him. Yeah. Like, let me tell you why it's hard for me. Because, you know, everyone else can sleep in. Right. I have a 7 a.m. alarm clock. Yeah. That needs me. A living alarm clock. A living alarm clock that needs me. Mm -hmm. So that's why this doesn't work for me. Right. Like, I'm not, like, trying to, you know, like, and, and if it's hard for everybody, why are you doing it? Good question. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. why is it okay to... The know, burden's on the participant to, like, right. tough, tough... Right. Tough why wouldn't you want to, like, take care of the people that you're educating? Right. Which is a whole nother part of our supremacist patriarchy. Yeah. Of, like, why wouldn't you 
Why wouldn't you? Why would you do that? For everybody, yeah. If it's hard for everybody. Yeah. yeah. Good question. Why wouldn't you care for the people that you're supposed yeah. to care for? Well, it seems like there's this, you know, also sort of ingrained mentality that like it should right. be hard if it's worth doing. Right. How can you even do something well yeah. if you're not sleeping or eating or mm-hmm. caring for yourself? You're just your brain won't work. Yeah. What do you think? You think you have to torture? You think you're making good art? Yeah. Torturing yourself, not sleeping, because you're not. Yeah. It's not good. Yeah. Go to sleep. Think you make something good. It's just like another structure that is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, and one that you seem to address in a lot of this, like self care, like yeah, with these things that have been called witchcraft that right. is truly like self-care and caring for others yeah. in your space like that's yeah. bad yeah like it seems like it's really deep <laughs> right demons yeah not just well. yeah so it's you know it's like so funny to me but um so this residency uh will have uh one you know kind of global artist who's advanced in their career uh just to be as a mentor kind of um, to make work, also to give them like just a just deserve break, yeah. um, and then um, the other residencies would be local women, because also too if you think about like it is hard to go somewhere with your family, yeah. kids have school, mm-hmm. etc. But what if you could just go to a different house that someone else cleans for you, Amazing. and there's food in the cupboards, mm-hmm. and you don't have to worry about it, yeah. and you're just like you know like support, <coughs> yeah, and your family so they can. Do their own yeah, work. and your family gets like to be in a different space, and just like yeah. you know, not only will the mom benefit from that, but the kids will benefit from it too. Yeah. And like, and so we, you know, give childcare resources for the children to do th- activities and different things. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to help the moms, like, however, whatever will support their careers. Yeah. Um, any kind of schooling, or you know, we're trying to create like a structure, a like kind of group of black women mothers who um where will like anything like for instance i already talked about felicia savage who has a anti-racist yoga training program like if that seems like it would support your artistic career we would love to pay for you to go to that mm-hmm. training mm-hmm. whereas we're supporting felicia where you know we're keeping kind of these dollars circulating within women yeah. and mothers mm-hmm. All of the people involved in this project are mothers, mm-hmm. even down to the grant writer, yeah. who is you. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, you know, I want to make sure that like we're supporting mothers, that we're creating a different structure, an anti-colonial structure mm-hmm. where, you know, you can bring your kids to meetings, you can exist as a mother, where we're like listening to you yeah. and, and your needs supporting you financially, supporting your career. And then, you know, you would, in exchange, you present your work, you get to make work Mm -hmm. that will help our world and our humanity. It seems like a win-win thing to me. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, And it helps. It. This is where, like, the public, where it's a collaboration, too, because I'm building my archive of black women, right? mm -hmm. You know, like, just even in this practice, this this project... Is also selfish. I mean, artists are inherently selfish. Well. So, <laughs> so this does support my work yeah. because I'm collecting like these narratives and this like existence. These mm-hmm. I'm I at the same time in art am archiving right. black women and who are making things, who are creating things in this world. Yeah. 
but you're it's supporting yourself while supporting others i think that's right. such a difference like there's a lot of artists throughout history that have supported themselves at the detriment of others right. or by taking advantage of other people right and obviously that is right. you're moving in the completely opposite direction exactly um, well that also yeah. too is the kind of basis of like the um of that spiritual practice mm-hmm. which is a practice of reciprocity okay and if we can exist in a place where we're constantly thinking about reciprocity. Mm-hmm. So like even like I use things from the land, but then I give back to the land. Yeah. That's where I'm asking the ancestors for this support and I'm giving back to the ancestors the same support. It's like this like kind of, you know, where I'm like supporting these women and also I'm supporting my work. Mm-hmm. Right? So I, I feel like that's kind of like I'm trying to I'm trying to exist in this practice of reciprocity in my own witchness. Yeah. If you want to learn more about Alicia's work, you can go to her website, aliciabwormsley.com, and learn about a lot of the projects she's referenced today, The People Are the Light, The Space I'm In, and a lot of her other work. Alicia, thank you so much for talking with me today. Thanks for having me. Our show today was produced and edited by Sophie Watsack. Reverb's co-producers are Alex Helberg, Calvin Pollock, and Ben Williams. You can subscribe to Reverb and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Android, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out our website at www.reverbcast.com. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at Reverbcast. That's R-E-V-E-R-B underscore C-A-S-T. Thanks for tuning in.